1: Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir?
2: As spectacular as a Sadio Mane finish. How are you?
1: I am tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Luis Diaz is off the mark. Thiago Alcantara proving once again that he is a very spectacular footballer. And a 3-1 win over Norwich, that was well-deserved, but a little bit more hard-fought maybe than we thought it would be or than it should have been. Diaz is off the mark, Thiago Alcantara proving once again that he is a very spectacular footballer. And a 3-1 win over Norwich, that was well-deserved, but a little bit more hard-fought maybe than we thought it would be or than it should have been.
2: Yeah, maybe so. I think only because of a lack of a clinical edge in the first half, to be fair, Um, as we discussed on Raw after the match, I think. We had done enough, even without being absolutely lightning in the final third, to create at least two scoring chances. And, you know, if Simicast, for example, puts that one away early doors, then it's a very, very different game straight away.
1: Yeah, very much agree. Very much agree. But it was good. It was uh, it was good to have them have to fight back, you know, because there's going to be really tough games coming up. Obviously, we were helped massively by what, by what happened afterwards, which is Tottenham going to the Etihad, and winning 3 2. And it means that if we win this week, this week in the midweek game against Leeds, we'll only be three points behind City. Now, I think it's fair to say City have the easier run in. Liverpool's run in is quite difficult. They face all five of the teams in the push for fourth Manchester United, West Ham, Tottenham, Arsenal, and Wolves. But at the same time, they're more than capable of stringing these games together and and going on a a long extended win run.
2: Yeah, definitely so. I mean, we've seen from Man City what they seem to have done is actually dropped points in little tiny small batches and then the rest of the season is just relentless winning runs and that's what really demoralises, you know, a lot of people chasing them or even neutrals who are looking for a bit more of an exciting title race. It's that sort of... 12, 15, 16 unbeaten in a row where they just seem to be winning every week without doing anything special, without playing particularly well, often without racking up big massive scorelines as well, but it's just consistent. 2-0, 3-0, 2-0, 3-0, and it becomes very, very difficult to stop them, but pressure does funny things and a little bit of expectation on the shoulders and a a, a bit of a missed opportunity you just never know. I mean, this is the the long-awaited one, like you say, it's been ongoing since December that that top end of the league really has been a bit imbalanced in terms of who is really where, because it's all well and good having the game in hands, we know that. We've been in this situation before, and then you go and drop the points and yeah. suddenly, suddenly that sort of feeling of momentum I know it doesn't really exist, Dan, don't worry, but the feeling of it exists. And all that sort of almost almost a pressure valve release when Man City did drop points and the and the excitement goes through the roof all of a sudden. If you then drop points in the next game Even though it doesn't make any difference if you drop them in this game or three weeks down the line, it
1: feels like a missed opportunity. It does very much so. It really, really does. So we'll play City on April the 9th. Now, in between that, we've got a lot of games. We've obviously got Chelsea in the EFL Cup final. We've got Norwich in the FA Cup fifth round. And we've got that second leg against Inter. In the league, we'll play Leeds at home, West Ham at home, Brighton away, Arsenal away, Manchester United at home, and Watford at home. That's a difficult run. I'd be looking at that though and thinking like we're at home for four of them. And the two away ones, Brighton and Arsenal, are probably the tricky ones. Arsenal you could expect Arteta to try the usual thing of parking the bus and hoping to hit us on the counter attack, but he hasn't had much success against us, really. I mean, the one win they got came from Liverpool, having already won the title and pricking about. Brighton is difficult. West Ham have obviously beaten us already this season, but they're in a poor run at the moment. There's nothing really there that suggests we shouldn't pick up maximum points going into that city game. And obviously, you don't want to write anybody off, but we should be beating. Leeds at home. We should beat West Ham at home. I think we should go to Brighton and win. We've done it in the past. I think we should go to the Emirates and win. And then United at home and Watford at home. Again, Their teams have already beaten very comfortably this season. So that, I think, should be 18 points for Liverpool. City, on the other hand, they're, on paper it looks easier, but I do wonder if it's not a little bit trickier. So they go to Everton... Next weekend, they'll win that. Everton will roll over and have their belly tickled. But then it's United in a Manchester derby. Now, Oli's gone, but Oli did very well against City, all things considered. So maybe Ranić can come up with some sort of game plan that causes City some problems. City have struggled a little bit this season against high-pressing, aggressive teams. We saw Palace beat them. We saw Southampton get a draw. I thought Spurs pressed them really well yesterday as well. Then they play Palace, who've already beaten them this season. Then Brighton at home. And then a trip to Burnley, which, again, they'll win. They should win. But it's not going to be an easy game. I do wonder if their five might be less straightforward than our six leading into that game. And is there a, a world in which we go into that game on level pegging for points where where a win might put us three points ahead
2: (laughs) oh i don't want to get people's hopes up too much you know yeah you're treading on dangerous territory there dave uh it's very very early on in the season to be worrying about all this is all the only thing i can say i know there's not that long to go but there is still a long way to go and yeah it's absolutely feasible because i don't know take even like at home against Brighton, I would expect Man City to probably put four past them with the star of mm. either the two teams have, and you know obviously a, a greater attack and threat for Guardiola's team. But all it takes is like you know a third-minute red card for Aderson or something like that to completely change the trajectory of a game, and that can happen to us as well. I mean, like Man United at home, I don't care if they're improved a bit recently. I'd still expect us to wipe the floor with them. Not quite like we did earlier in the season, but still beat them handily. But we've seen it before where... Was it Sammy Hoopier, like five minutes in, got a red card? And they absolutely yeah. tra- trashed us that game. And obviously it was a different era, a different couple of teams and stuff, but it highlights what can happen in a football match. So yes, absolutely, there there are many, many universals where we go into the uh, that game at City level with them, or ahead of them even, if they drop points in a couple of games. But I don't really think we have to worry too much about that. Um, if we beat Man City, I don't think that this group of players will let themselves drop more points between then and the end of the season. There's just there's so, such control about their gameplay. There's such determination. We already know that apart from the quality of them, this team, this squad is really, really good at picking up late wins if they absolutely have to. And... Also, you can't win the title without a bit of a struggle, without a bit of, oh my God, we're 2-0 down at home to Everton with 20 minutes to go, and you still come through and win 3-2, because that's what winning the title is about with this club. It's not about the the ridiculous strolls to the title. Even when we were well clear in the season, we did win the title. That came after loads of late wins and late drama, and the way that we beat Man United in the last minute with that you know wrapping-up goal as such, it's always about that. It's never really... I mean, there's a question there from... Uh, Ali, in the chat while we're doing this, about whether we're capable of going on, I think he said, a 20-game win streak, something like that. Yeah. Is, it, is it possible? Yes, yes, of course it is. But you know what? It's more possible between August and November than it is right now. That's when it's possible that you go on those kind of win streaks, not when it's all up for grabs at the end of the season. Because even if we do beat such and we go past that game ahead of them in the table, we'll still drop points at some stage after that. But will also have enough about us to, I think, keep ahead of them. But I don't think that that's really the important thing. I think the the game to look at, if you're looking for where Man City might drop points, I'd be looking at Crystal Palace away, personally. I think that's the the biggest potential stumbling block they've got compared to how they play against Palace, how Palace set up against the bigger sides, results between the two teams in recent seasons. That's maybe the one you want to pin your hopes on if you want to do something like that. But even if not, even if they go all the way winning every single game up until Liverpool go there... So can Liverpool. And that will be a three-point yep. game. Three-point gap is, is, is not an awful lot at this stage of the season. And, you know, what are we, like three weeks on from when the title was basically being given to them and the ribbons were being tied on in their colours? And now, look, all of a sudden, it doesn't take an awful lot.
1: It doesn't. And, you know, off the back of us, they play Wolves away, which will be a very difficult game. Their last five are favourable. They get... Watford at home, Leeds away, Newcastle at home, that's nine points. West Ham away will be tricky, but they're going to beat Aston Villa on the final day. So if we need them to drop points in those last five games, we are sort of pinning our hopes on West Ham. But that Wolves game is one. like I think Palace, I think you're right. I think that the Derby and Palace are two very difficult games, two tricky games for them in the run-up to the game against us. And then that game against Wolves is just really, really tough. Whereas, for ourselves, it's Villa away, Everton at home, Newcastle away, then Spurs, then Southampton away, and then Wolves at home on the last day. Like, ours is a little more difficult, but there's, the, the spacing of theirs is maybe a little bit more awkward for them. And the thing as well, to keep in mind with City, is... They don't play well from behind. For all the patience that they have at nil-nil, when they go one behind, there does seem to be an element of panic about them. And we've seen them on multiple occasions this season fall behind and not really know how to come back and win the game. They went behind at Southampton they came back and got a draw, but they never really looked like winning that game. You know, it was the same thing when they played Palace earlier this season. They went behind, and they looked a little bit lost. They looked like they didn't quite know what it was they were meant to be doing. Now, admittedly, they did get the red card on halfway on half time, rather, which massively helped uh, help Palace. But still, they they don't look like a team who's overly comfortable playing from behind, and maybe that against the likes of United or Palace, who might just have 20 really good minutes to go out and punch them in the mouth. Maybe that's where City start to slip a little bit as well. But there's no point in looking at all of that until we look at this week. And this week, we have to play Leeds United. And that game takes place at Anfield. and based on what we've seen from Leeds this season, should be fairly straightforward for us. But you just never know what a team. Like, this season, the results have been an abomination. Five wins, eight draws, 11 defeats, 50 goals conceded. They've been largely atrocious. But there is just always that little bit of a risk with them that they might just find a bit of form, even for half an hour, and produce something. Yeah, or 59 seconds, for
2: example, uh, yeah. as was the case against Manchester United. They looked, by half time dead and buried in that game. I think they made mistakes in the lineup, and I think that was fairly apparent quite, often, uh, quite early on in the match, and they probably should have been... They maybe could have gone ahead, but when they didn't go ahead, they probably should have been out of the game by half time, to be perfectly honest. And aside from that little spell, you didn't really know how they were going to get back into it, to be honest. I mean, it was... They're very, very frantic. Still, they're very, you know, trying to get forward on the front foot, and they love to play in the spaces. And I have to say that a lot of the place, a lot of the spaces which do appear in uh, Liverpool's midfield do tend to be in those areas they were attacking in that inside channel, either side of Fabinho. But Liverpool are a lot quicker defensively than mm. Manchester United. At Liverpool are a lot more well organised off the ball and have a greater structure against turnovers of possession than Manchester United do so again I think there's lots of reason to think that even if we do face their counter-attack and they have you know people like Rafinha come back into the side and all the rest of it you kind of think Liverpool's still going to create enough chances going the other way I mean the, the forwards that we have available now I know Jota missing the game injured and all the rest of it but we have options there we have great movement there we have extra speed there now with Diaz we've got a bit of an unpredictable attack, to be perfectly honest. Again, it seems to be a lot more free-flowing at times than it was around the sort of October, November sort of period of this season. And as good as Leeds can be going forward and trying to catch a team out by, like you say, hitting a sucker punch or being just ridiculously energetic, I think that that almost suits Liverpool because if it doesn't quite work for them in those really, really quick combination plays in the final third,
1: well, we're a lot better than that going the other way on the counter. For sure. And if you look at the team that they lined up with yesterday, Mellier in goal, he, he's a talented goalkeeper, but he does make a lot of errors. And I thought, for example, the Fred goal yesterday, it's just a really bad goal to consider to, to concede on that angle. It's not as if, like it's a well-hit shot, but it's not as if it's the best struck ball you've ever seen in your life. I think the keeper has to save it. You look at the fullbacks, Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas. I mean, these are two championship players. These are two lads who really do struggle at the Premier League level. Laurenti's good, but not great. Struyek is talented, but at the same time, he is prone to big errors. Adam Forshaw, again, he's a championship-level player. Robin Cock, he's a, he's a defender, masquerading in midfield. Dan Jabes It might be the most inconsistent player in the league. Matthias Glish is is decent, but not anything spectacular. Jack Harrison is solid. And Rodrigo up front. They brought Rafinha and Junior Firpo off the bench. And to be fair, after those two and Tyler Roberts, it was entirely a defend. uh, Sorry, a bench of children. Uh, They are without multiple players. Liam Cooper is out. Calvin Phillips is out. Robin Cock, they hope to have back. He obviously had to go off with a head injury. Uh, Leo Kield is out. Patrick Bamford is out. And Sam Greenwood is out. So, in terms of Bamford and Phillips, that's their best midfielder. And their only proven source of goals gone out of the team. So, that weakens them massively. We know they don't have any great central defenders, their fullback situations among the worst in the league. The only thing that really would concern you is, you mentioned him, Rafinha just having one of those games where everything he tries comes off and he just causes us a lot of problems on the counter-attack. But aside from that, there's not really a whole lot about this Leeds team that would scare you in any way.
2: No, I mean, they are ridiculously quick and they're very, very energetic and all the rest of it, like we said. But you know what? That game against Man United, apart from being very tough to take once they got themselves back into the game and then lost out fairly easily again afterwards, it was actually also played on a really, really heavy pitch, ridiculously bad weather, drive and rain, puddles all over the pitch. That would have been very, very tiring for them. And well, I don't suppose it will make a massive Difference to the start of the match, to the, to the start of the line maybe, but again, another 90 minutes where you might have to be chasing the ball for quite a lot of it, where you might have to be really, really physical in stages. There was a lot of big tackles went in in that game between Leeds and Man United, and I imagine there were probably a fair few bruises to deal with afterwards, maybe a few knocks and stuff, and that... Once you get to like an hour and 70 minutes against teams like Liverpool, Man City and a lot of ball circulation and having to be really physical against the forwards, otherwise if you stand off them, they're just going to tear you apart. It's difficult to do twice in three or four days. And especially because Leeds, like you say, have a bit of a smaller squad. They don't have the experienced options to call on to rotate like five positions, especially through the the spine of the team there. I mean, I would expect a few changes. People like maybe Rafinha come back in with uh, Dan James got front again where I think he's probably a little bit more uh, not dangerous and certainly not consistent, but maybe just it suits his direct style of play. I think when you play him on the wing, you're basically looking for him to do one of two things, and that's either cut in off the left or just cross it from the right. And without Bamford, the right-hand side one isn't really an option. If Rafinha's playing, you want him there anyway. So I think if you do play him as the nine with Rodrigo just off him, it's probably a little bit better as an outlet. He can link a bit better in the channels with... Harrison and Rafinha for example maybe that's probably their best way of playing but again asking them to do 60 70 80 minutes of sprint especially if they don't score early on and have something mm. to hold on to that's a as a difficult ask at Anfield
1: it is it's a massively difficult ask especially when like you say they're coming off that game at the weekend having been largely playing on what looked like a bug. um so what do we expect from them then they don't have a whole lot of options i kind of feel like the. Goalkeeper and defence will remain the same. Um, looking at the bench, I mean, Furpo could come in at left-back, which might allow Dallas back into midfield, where he is a little bit better. Uh, Rafinha, like you said, he could come in. I mean, there is the option, I suppose, of pushing Jack Harrison into a more central role and playing James on the left, but he hasn't shown any want to do that this season. Um. Their options are limited. I wonder, could maybe Joe Gellhart start this game? We've seen him make some spot starts this season. And while he is obviously a very young, inexperienced player, he is at least a proper number nine and would at least give them something of a focal point. Because, like, Rodrigo's a talented footballer, but he's not a striker. Like, he's a second striker, attacking midfielder. He's kind of positionless. He works best when he's allowed to drop off and, and roam deep into the wings and whatever else. He doesn't play well through the middle, whereas Gelhard at least could play through the middle and give them a focal point in attack, even if it's just, you know, a reference point of right. Well, that's the direction we're meant to be playing in, but we're not going to give it to him because Van Dijk has stood a yard from him.
2: Yeah, maybe. I think either that or Tyler Roberts getting another run at centre-forward. That might be the alternative for them if they
1: don't want to uh, go with... The parties in the match at house if Tyler Roberts gets to start. <laughs> the one and only member of the Tyler Roberts fan club. Well, I paid up for a
2: year, so, you know... Even his well parents out. are
1: out at this point. They're like, no, this, this, this is not is not working out. No, like, I mean, he uh, Roberts is a funny player. He's one of them. He's very much a confidence player. And if, if in the first five to ten minutes he gets a couple of things that go really well for him, you'll see him really start to grow into and affect the game. But if those things go badly for him, by half time he's done nothing else other than those things in that first five to ten minutes. And then he's to the start again for the second half. Um, Roberts himself also just more comfortable off a striker. Yes, exactly As a striker.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was just about to say there. I mean, the, the problem for him really is that he is ideally suited to where Rodrigo usually plays. Mm. And unless they go Rodrigo and Roberts behind him, which is not really an ideal mix because both of them are going to be sort of looking to come short to the ball and looking to be carrying it from a little bit deeper. And I don't really fancy then having to leave out Rafinha potentially for Tyler Roberts to start. That's, that's not the ideal situation there. I assume Rafinha's going to come back in. You know, he was just left out because he was left out and he hadn't been playing particularly well, but he did affect the game when he came on. He obviously did score. And I think Leeds just generally, aside from the fact that he's their best player, obviously, they just look better when they have that really direct, fast paced outlets on the flanks because they're so chaotic in midfield. There's very rarely too much structure, especially off the ball, you know, in the way that you see this. Like net almost from Liverpool when we have the ball high up field and we're rotating, trying to find spaces for the gaps. You know where the midfielders are going to be. You know where each and every one of our three midfielders are going to be, waiting to receive possession and switch play and all the rest of it. But with Leeds, you could as well see them at right back as left wing. I mean, it is just there to be exploiting the spaces and there to be trying to make the most of the second balls and the turnovers and link play and all the rest of it. It's it's. It's fun, no doubt about that, but it doesn't lend itself to defending against really good counter-pressant
1: sides. No, no, it doesn't at all. And that's sort of the area that you think we would look to take advantage of. Some of the many flaws in this Leeds team, United were able to carve them apart quite easily with, with very simple movement and just by attacking central areas you'd imagine we will look to do very very similar things so let's look at us then obviously coming off the back of the Norwich game where Jurgen made I think it's fair to say more changes than either excuse me either of us expected I don't think anyone expe- you know you look at the team there was Allison, Virgil, Mo are the only three that started in the same positions. Sadio obviously started, but he played in a different position to where he played midweek. Joe, Joel, Costas, Ox, Henderson, Nabi, and Diaz all coming in after the intergame. Were you surprised by how many changes he made? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, especially when he made such a
2: a firm sort of obviously not when he was asked about the thing that you actually mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, about Kelleher starting one of these two games. He was asked, is Kelleher going to uh, play a part in either against Norwich or against Leeds, ahead of the cup final, and he just said, no, no, no of course not, you know, Ali will be playing. Kelleher's used to coming in just for one-off games, that's what he's going to do for the final, but we want to win the games, we want to make sure we've got the first-choice team and all the rest of it. So it, as much as from a consistency and cohesion point of view, I thought that again it would just be, like I said at the time and in Scouted last week, about four or five changes maybe tops, maybe mm. one in each line and, and an extra one somewhere. But no, that that was well above what I expected, which was fine in the end, and you know, you can't really complain when, when the game is won anyway, but if you do that again for this game and then you're considering whether to keep the same team twice in a row for the cup final, possibly, or whether you're still going to be rotating quite heavily again and go sort of seven changes one game and six the next and five the next and hopefully then across a period of three weeks when you're playing six or seven games, everybody only plays three or four of them from the start. Maybe that's the plan here, but I'm not really sure that heading into a
1: cup final, that's what I'd be most comfortable doing. I have to say that that answer did annoy me a little bit because I I thought you've basically said you, you don't really trust Kelleher in a league game but yet you're going to trust him in a cup final like that. It just didn't sit right with me. Now, you know, he'll have his logic and obviously look stuff gets lost in, in, you know, what, what he means to say and what he actually does say. Sometimes it doesn't always come out exactly right from, but yeah, I just found that a bit strange. Like you're not willing to start them at home to Norwich or Leeds who are not very good but you're happy enough to start him against Chelsea in a cup final. Like, I know you don't really take the cups all that seriously, and maybe you're just a little bit annoyed that you have the hassle of playing a cup final, but still, it it just didn't sit right with me. Uh, I
2: think that's fine. I mean... It is a first-choice goalkeeper. It's not a position which is habitually rotated, and I can
1: understand that it's, you know, somebody. No, that's be, fine, but like, then then play Allison in the cup final. If you want to win games and it's, you're not going to beat Norwich and Leeds without Allison. then play him in the cup final as well. Or are you saying it's not as important?
2: No, I think it's just that he's earned the right to play in that competition, and that's where he's going to play, but he's not earned the right to be ahead of Allison all the time yet. That's all. It's
1: one game. It's one game. I it just it bugs me uh, anyway we'll move on for this game we expect that Allison will obviously start in goal there, there's, there's no real possibility of anything else but do you think the rest of what we see in terms of the outfield group might be the team that he has in mind for the final
2: well I had thought so that was my thinking going into this whole sort of week really but because there were so many changes for that last game, I'm not really sure now. I mean, I would have expected Kanati, for example, to start the two games against Inter and Norwich and then Matip to come in for two games against Leeds and uh, Chelsea for the final. But let's be honest, Kanati played a lot better against Inter than Matip did at the weekend or indeed has done in his last few outings. So if you bring Kanati back in for this game, is this like an audition for the final? And if he plays well, is he going to be back in for the final? Or are you going to keep rotating them one after the other? Mm. Because again, you're going to lose out on cohesion and understanding and you know that natural partnerships that centre-backs have after a good run of games together. Or is this going to be Matip starting again and then Kanate comes back in for the final? It's a, it's quite a, a very, very tricky one to judge. I mean, personally, as it is right at this minute, I'd play Kanate tonight. And if he plays well again, play him in the final. And that's just what I would do. But... It still seems like he he very much sees Matip as first choice. So equally, I wouldn't be surprised to see Matip start Sunday midweek and then at the weekend again, Saturday midweek and at the weekend again. I should say.
1: Yeah, I I I agree. I it's like I I think Matip has been pretty poor in his last well at least the last three games. Um, I'm I'd struggle to think of the last time Joel played, and I thought yeah he was really good. Like maybe. One of the Pal- did he? one of the Arsenal games, maybe? I mean, that might be it. One of the Arsenal games, was that the last time he was really good? Because it seems like the last few, certainly the last three in the league, he's been really shaky. And, you know, everybody's obviously celebrated the goal against, uh, the Diaz goal against. Norwich but as part of that build up there was a really poor moment from Matip which if it's Trent at right back rather than Gomez that's probably a Norwich goal because Trent wouldn't be where Gomez was, Trent would be higher up the pitch and he's just had, like his passing's been a bit loose defensively he just hasn't been as on it and as I said on Raw, like the the lazy sort of flick of the leg out at the ball was a bit of a concern for me as well. It just like you don't seem completely locked in here. Whereas when Kanate comes in, he just looks completely dead focused straight away, and he's not really put a foot wrong. He one shaky game since joining, and that's pretty much been it. Everything else been has been very very impressive. Um, I I think. I wonder if Klopp wouldn't play Kanate in the, in the cup final regardless because he doesn't seem to to mind just sort of dropping Kanate into big games. We've already seen him this season, you know, against Inter when I don't don't think anyone expected him at Old Trafford when I don't think anyone expected him. He doesn't seem to have a problem dropping Kanate into big games. So maybe he's always been planning to play him in, in this cup final. But therefore wouldn't you play him again tonight? Or this midweek game, rather against Leeds, not tonight. I would, but <laughs> Jurgen Jurgen does things in in Jurgen's way, and it works. So you can't really <laughs> you can't really question it too much. Um, right. So so we'll agree that Trent starts, Robble comes back in, yeah. Virgil starts, and then it's one of Kanate or Matip. But the that's, that's, what the one that's? But the one that starts. Doesn't necessarily mean they start, uh, at the weekend. What do you do in midfield then, Carl? Because the captain has not been good this season. There's just, there's no way to whitewash his, for, his form despite the best efforts of local media and other podcast outlets. He has been terrible this season. It's not a recent thing. It's not a since Christmas thing. It's a since August thing, but. Off the bench against Inter, he came on and played very well as part of a triple substitution that changed the game. At the weekend, he a, I thought he had a poor 70, or at least a not good 70. Sorry, a not good 60. And then Thiago came on, and then he had a very good last 30. But both of those performances came playing as a number six. There's no scope for him to be the number six in this team when everybody's available and fit because Fabinho is just better at that job than he is. But when you look through his good performances this season, and it's a quick thing to do because there aren't many, you get Burnley at home, Watford away, Manchester United away, and then Inter plus the the last 30 at Norwich. All of them have come as a number six. The only good performance you could highlight from him this season as an eight was Everton away in the Derby, where he had a really, really good first half. Second half, he's a bit quiet, but his first half was very, very good. So, does he warrant playing as an eight? Has he done anything to deserve that this season? Well...
2: If you take Tiago out of the conversation, because he just must play, you know, the big games, uh, I would say that there's a case to be made for probably all of our other options to be in or out, depending on who you want, to be perfectly honest. Because, I mean, you know, Elliot has obviously been the, the most consistent for the games that he's had, but he's had the fewest games and he's the least experienced and all the rest of it. And we're going to get games like into where he's obviously still learning and it's a different type of uh, performance and job and all the rest of it. So you could you could genuinely start any one of them in the other role and i don't think that there would be a huge variance in what you get at their average level but it's about whether that other person can produce their best level or not and if all of them produce their best i i honestly don't think henderson does be not just in the team but probably not even the next one along either but at the same time, we've got an awful lot of them in there who have struggled to find their best level for more than mm. like two games at a time. And sometimes it's just because they're not that consistent as performers. Sometimes it's because they're so heavily rotated, it takes them a few games to get that rhythm back. And sometimes it's because they're out injured too often. So Look, I'm not. The thing is, he's
1: the only uh. one that gets given consistent chances and stays in regardless of form. Like, Nabi comes in, plays really well, and then he's just left out of the team then he comes in has a bad game out of the team. Like, Naby doesn't get to play his way into form. Harvey obviously hasn't had the chance to play his way into form. Ox is a player who has to play his way into form and just never gets given those runs. Whereas, like, it feels like... If Henderson turns in 5 out of 10 and 4 out of 10 and 6 out of 10 and 5 out of 10, he'll just stay in the team. Whereas for... Any of the others, they kind of have to come in and be turning in 8 out of 10 every single week.
2: Well, right or wrongly,
1: I, I think that that's a, a reward's not the right
2: word, but it's basically a perk of being where he is in his career. That's that's what I think. I mean, there is... What, past is best? Well, no, it's not just about being at your peak or not. It's about being the standard that you have in the team. Obviously, his status as captain. I know, I know you'll have the argument that that shouldn't matter, but obviously there are t- intangibles and things in the team that Klopp wants that we don't necessarily Tangible, either know or agree are with.
1: such a bullshit argument yeah, but, that but, are but only it, ever brought out to talk about mediocre players. But you it never hear if, intangibles brought matter, out for good maybe. players. Of course it, it matters. Matter.
2: No, no, no. I'm saying it doesn't matter if we agree with it or not. If if it is something that the manager thinks of, even if he's wrong in that regard, that is still a reason why he's going to pick someone in the team. And am not just limiting this to Klopp and Henderson and talk about any manager at all. I've seen Dozens and dozens and dozens of managers down the years, how long do we have to keep talking about them relying on one player who lets them down? But he picks them because either that's the one he made captain or that's the player that he signed or that's the player that... Our and Grana Jack well is a good, good example.
1: Yeah, exactly
2: so. There is absolutely no question that managers look to players beyond the performance level. Otherwise, you know, Christ, we, we could pick out 30 Liverpool players who would have left like five years earlier than they did, and we know where we'd both be starting with that list. Um yes. there there are many, many reasons beyond just what the players do on the pitch and you know, managers are people. Like we, we spoke about Klopp last year going through uh we when we started discussing whether managers could have form. And that whole side of it is is partly to do with team selection as well. There's no mm. question that they're selection process is beyond just the statistical things and beyond what they see on the trainer pitch. It has also got to do with trust, just like in any office or any industry, really, you probably work with people who you would prefer to work with because you have a good reputation or sorry a good rapport with them where you have a good working relationship with them even if they're a bit crap at one of the jobs that they do and sometimes you have to go and do it for them or someone else has to do something for them because they haven't finished the job properly you, you still prefer to work with them because you know what you're going to get and you maybe because you have a good time with them maybe whatever it is it doesn't matter the point is that it's not just always about producing a nine out of ten performance no g- give me this, assholes
1: who are nine out of ten every week
2: <laughs> give me <laughs> that assholes that be ideal
1: It'd be ideal I'd, I'd rather have Arsenal still. surrounding me as long as they do the jobs. No, look, maybe maybe that's the case, but he has spoken recently about making it more of a meritocracy and that did kind of seem like it was aimed at the players like Henderson who've maybe come to expect that they should be in the team. He did obviously drop him for the inter-game and I don't think that can be looked at any other way than like he holed him off early against Burnley and dropped him for the inter-game now, what's his name, Fletch on BT tried to claim it was because he gashed his knee, which is just nonsense. Like, he got a little bang on the knee and he'd been playing terribly before that. So, And then he played on for 30 minutes after the knee issue. So he, he was clearly fine. Um Maybe he does drop him again. Maybe he does drop him again. Maybe he looks at him now and sees that the only really good form he's gotten from Henderson in the last three years has been as a number six, that that is think, just the position to go with go for him.
2: Do you think, for the final, Klopp's going to pick Henderson in the team, yes. in the lineup? So Almost he's going to play as an eight there, right? So that's probably, assuming, assuming nothing happens between now and then, that's going to be Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, yeah? Yeah. So for this game, for Leeds, I think Henderson and Thiago, one of them starts when the other one replaces them. Because we've seen too many times both of them struggle with two and three games in a week. And since my assumption is that
1: Henderson Henderson comes off the bench in this one,
2: yeah, for Thiago because he didn't start the last one.
1: Yeah, that Nabi starts, and maybe we finally get the start of Nabi, Fab, and and Thiago, and then Henderson comes on on like fifty five for him and just that's just what the midfield is and then for the cup final I do think it will be I think it will be Henderson um Henderson Fabinho Thiago yeah, which is, isn't ideal a, but it, it I think it's what he'll do.
2: Yeah I think
1: that will be fine. I think that's what um we'll for this, the weekend. Up front the depth that we had last of the week and now we've got <laughs> J- Jota out injured And Bobby out-injured. Now, Klopp has been fairly positive with what he said about Jota, but less so about Bobby. Um, I don't expect that we'll see Bobby for a couple of weeks. I assume he's now out of the cup final. Jota, I assume he misses this game, but the hope will be that he's back on the bench for the final what does Klopp do up front in this one? Is this the game where you go Mo, Divock, Diaz and give Sadio a rest? I think we just leave it as it was. And go with Sadio through the middle again? Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd 100% be on for it because I think it is the type of role he'll need minutes in to adjust to the demands of it. So, yeah, I'd absolutely be on board with Sadio starting through the middle, Mo on the right, up against, you know, the Stuart Dallases of this world. And since, you know, Max Aaron's, I thought, did a pretty good job on Diaz, Max Aaron's, I I think, is, is actually improved as a defender over the last couple of years. He's still rash and he still makes mistakes, but he has improved from where he was. But, you know, after that tough test, you give him... I think probably the worst right back in the league. I'd struggle to find a worse right back in the league than Luke Ayling. So, yeah, you give Diaz the chance to go up against Luke Galing, who made Jaden Sancho look like well, Jaden Sancho again at the weekend. Yeah, uh, I'm fully on board with that. I think you know we,
2: we have seen Klopp just randomly go, "Hey, Divock, you're starting this week after you know not playing for three months or whatever." So there's always the opportunity for that to happen. But I think again. Bring him on second half, shuffle things around as needed, rest whoever needs it. I presume that would be Sadio and Mo before the final, or at least one of them. Um, Hopefully, by that time, we're already like three or four goals up. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
2: I I I think with the forwards especially, the emphasis on this game being our game in hand that we've waited a couple of months for now, the emphasis is so much on needing to win that first and foremost, you go with a strong lineup, get ahead, and then change what you need to. You yeah. can't make mistakes in this game.
1: No, no, you can't at all. This this is one where you've really got to go and and put them to the sword because, well, let's be fair they they invented some COVID cases at Christmas time because they were getting smacked game after game after game and they didn't want to get smacked again, so they invented COVID cases and they're just a horrible bunch as well. Not so much the players, and only really, like I, I like a few of the players. But their fans are just a horrible bunch of lads. Like, all the carry-on at the weekend, flinging stuff at players after United scored. Alanga nearly got knocked clean unconscious. Just desperate behaviour. They're always at it with their chants and the weird things they come out with. They're, they were doing the aeroplane at United fans, you know, only, what, two weeks after the anniversary of the Munich air disaster. They're just not a good bunch of lads, and I'd be very, very happy to see us spank them into the ground this week this week. I disagree with
2: that. How many do you think we're getting?
1: I think we're gonna tear them apart. I do. I I think we're absolutely going to annihilate them. I mean this is the league's worst defence other than Norwich. Yeah. They have lost five one away to Manchester United. 3-0 3 nil at home to us. 7 nil away to Manchester City. I mean, for the love of God, they lost 3 nil away to Everton. And Everton are awful. Um, I think we're putting five past them as a minimum. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say six nil, nice a nice round number. I'll six. say 6-0. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, six nil. Yeah. Yeah. Mo Mo's six. going Mo's gonna go nuclear. He's somebody's getting it. Norwich didn't quite get it, but somebody is going to get on the wrong end of an absolute terrorising from Salah in the next few weeks. Because you can see he's not very happy, you know, post-AFCON with the way that went And By the way, credit to Sadio for requesting that the club not do any big sort of celebration of his AFCON win because he didn't want to be rubbing it in Mo's face. But... Mo is going to tear somebody apart. And if there ever there was the ideal team for it, it's this shower because they can't defend. They can't defend set pieces at all. They're one of the worst teams in the history of the Premier League at defending set pieces, or certainly they were last year. This season's been a little bit better. But with Virgil and, you know, Matip or Canate and Fabinho going up for set pieces, I think they're going to be in trouble. And I think Diaz against Ailing is definitely. Something that'll cause them a spot of bother. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 6 0.
2: I'm going to go 5. I'm going to say 3 0 before Junior Furpo sending
1: off and another two goals <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> oh, poor old, poor old Junior Furpo. It, it hasn't gone well for Junior at, uh, at Leeds. He's had COVID, he's had injuries, he's been. Dog
2: shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he is surrounded by by Drek. Um yeah, it's it's not it's not pretty for Leeds. The only thing going in their favour is that you know it could always be worse. You, you could be Everton this season. But make no mistake, Leeds are in the relegation mix. Like, they're only two points ahead of Newcastle now. They're six ahead of Watford and seven. No, sorry, they're five ahead of Watford, six ahead of Burnley. But Burnley have two games in hand on them. And they might just find they get dragged back in if they can't find games to win between now and, the, you know, now and say, the middle of April. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a good run for them. That's that's the big
2: thing. I mean, since the end of November, they've won two games in the league. That's mm. problematic, you know, when you are consider- conceding the seven and the fours and Four's more than once, and a really big issue remains, we should point out, because we probably didn't at the start when we were doing their team, missing Bamford and Phillips. That's two big pillars of their team. Uh, So that is obviously still having an ongoing impact week to week and game to game. But I still just think that there should be more from this team. I I think there should be more from the club overall in terms of the transfer work that they did, Hmm. maybe even in terms of an extra... Squad filler, not even necessarily a first eleven player, but just somebody else who can do the multiple roles that Bielsa loves to have and add that real running power. I mean, they're suddenly relying almost ninety minutes every game on Adam Forshaw, who had missed two years before he came back only a couple of months ago. It's, yeah, it's a it's a big old ask for players like that who don't really have Premier, Premier League experience for certainly over the last period of time. Uh, people coming into the league who are new, like Junior Firpo and. Not having an immediate settling, you know, it's it's really really difficult to cope week to week with this kind of thing, and you can understand, I suppose, from that perspective why you think of what this time last year there was all you know worries from Leeds fans and hoping that the contract gets sorted out because Bielsa are only ever signs year to year. There's none of that at the minute this year.
1: No, no, I mean, look, it, not not buying a backup striker was just the height of stupidity as well because. Bamford was the only source of consistent goals in your team. And he's had injury issues in the past. And yet he gets hurt. And then it's like, oh, no, what do we do now? Well, you know, you had last summer to buy somebody who could have filled that role. Instead, you spent 30 million on Daniel James when you were the only team bidding for him. You spent 30 million. It's not like he'd torn up trees at United. And yet United still walked away with a 17 or £18 million profit on him. Which was just bizarre to begin with. Um, Last thing before we go. Thiago and Fabinho were at Ellen Road yesterday. So I'm going to give you some options as to why they were there. Option A... Because they're friendly with Rafinha and just went along to see him play and it was all innocent. Option B, they're there to secretly recruit Rafinha for a summer move. Option C, also a less sinister one, Thiago and Rodrigo are cousins. He They were there on his invite. Option D, they were scouting leads ahead of this weekend. And option E, they're just fiends for Yorkshire puddings. similar
2: to the final option there I, I i'd heard it was because the bovril is really really highly rated at elland road and they wanted to sample it themselves
1: makes sense makes makes i'd imagine they sell bovril by the fucking bucket load at elland road to all those gammony fans of theirs um yeah i i assume it's either it could have been a combination of option a and and c where you know fab is, is really close to to rafinha in the brazil squad and Rodrigo and Thiago are uh are you know cousins. Really cousins. You know they're not really cousins. No, they're not really cousins, but they're cousins <laughs> in the way yeah. you yeah. people are cousins when their families are really really close. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, look, I assume it's something to do with that, but look, it's it's as long as those two are together in in any and all <laughs> circumstance, I'm happy enough. All I know is that whatever it was they were doing, it was done really really well. Well, those two together don't really do anything other than really, really well. Hmm. Winning took place somewhere along the way. We will leave it at that for today. And we will be back later in the week ahead of the cup final against Chelsea, where at least they're a decent team to talk about. And you're not sort of left wondering, can Stuart Dallas do a job in another position for them this season? Uh, Anything you want to plug before we go? have a big preview for this game Uh, looking back at uh, a few
2: comments made 20 years ago and the next couple of weeks and basically where this Leeds Liverpool fixture all ties in that will be on the Independent on match day, worth a read
1: and then prior to the weekend lots of European stuff. Cool, follow Carl on Twitter, check out his work on the Independent and follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle See you next time, goodbye
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show